0: on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. Grab your umbrella, the bringer of rain is on his way to Minnesota. Hi everyone, it is Scoop Podcast episode 275. The biggest news, sports news that is, of the week is certainly Josh Donaldson agreeing to terms with the Minnesota Twins, the former MVP. Joining us now to provide some analysis of said move is former twin, former angel, former tiger, somebody that has competed against Donaldson former Twins brilliant TV analyst. I wish he was still doing some of the Twins TV analyst work, but he's now, what, a great real estate mogul, savvy businessman in the Dallas area. It is Tory Hunter, affectionately known as T-Nuts. Hello, T-Nuts.
1: What's up, dude? How you
0: doing? I'm doing okay. Okay, so you hear the other day that Josh Donaldson I mean, heck, he's finished in the top five in MVP voting multiple times, has an MVP under his belt, 34 years old, but coming off a really good year in Atlanta. When you heard the news that the Twins had agreed to terms with Josh Donaldson, what was your reaction? Uh,
1: I just, I'm just like, wow. I mean, it definitely changed the image of that organization, man. They're, they're more going, they're going for the power. And, uh, and to make a, a signing like this in the history of the Twins, uh, that, that would never happen. This guy is a, a all star, you know, MVP. He's, uh, a, a, a player. he has been through the playoffs. He's been around the game and done some damage in this game. And he's one of the, the names, top names in baseball. And we signed him. We signed him to a, a multi-year deal. One of the, the, the best deals I've seen the Twins sign anybody to besides Joe Maurer. Um, and I definitely think he's, uh, he's, he's, Wanted in that clubhouse, he's a guy with a, a lot of insight on hitting. And uh, with Nelson Cruz leading the way and, and him right there beside him, I definitely think those guys together can make that team ten times better.
0: A little bit more on the image. I mean, they made you Darvish a couple of years ago, Tori, a nice offer, but he ultimately chose Chicago, actually more money in Chicago, an additional year. They made Zach Wheeler a really nice offer, In December, he takes more money, ends up ultimately in Philadelphia. So they've tried to do some things. They've shown a willingness to spend a lot of money. But to finally execute a move of this magnitude, you're right, right, that this does change the image that, you know, all those people out there that say, you know, the poll ads are cheap, right? And heck, I mean, people cite (laughs) you, right? When you left that first time, when you left, I mean, people said, hey, the twins are cheap. They wouldn't pay to keep you. You know, so that's been out there. That stigma's been out there for many, many years. A move like this I think can go a long way in changing that perception.
1: And and that's what I think that uh Bad and uh Derek Salvey, these guys are are really here and from a different perspective. Uh I, I think they want you to to know that, hey, they they're willing to go over and beyond. And the Polads, Jim Polad is actually You know, his mindset has shifted, and he wants to win. He wants to bring a championship back to Minnesota. And if anybody says that they don't, I mean, there's something wrong with you. See, look what they're doing. Look at the process that they're going through. They're keeping guys. They're signing Sano. They're signing Rosario and Kepler and Polanco, and then bringing pieces in to help those guys evolve with, with guys that have done some damage in the game. And you know you have to pay for those guys to get them over and uh I, I think the future's bright for the twins and and i, I think they're on their way to to go on and, and get to the playoffs again um we still have to get some pitching we still have to get some bullpen i think they're still they're not done they can't be and i know they're out there searching for it and and uh so i definitely think this offense is probably one of the best offenses at, you know in in major league baseball
0: i mean maybe the best i mean that's subjective but i mean if you look at just you know the opss of these guys from last year, Torrey, like all are above the major league average. Go up and down. I mean, if your guy Byron Buxton can stay healthy, I mean, if all these guys can stay healthy, I mean, think about one through nine, how deep this lineup is.
1: <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's scary to look one through nine with, with Polanco and Arias. Uh, uh, and then you look at this right, right, left, right. It's kind of like a boxing combo. You're going to get punched with those guys. Right, right, for Sanoa. Uh, Nelson Cruz. Then you got Kepler in the middle of that, breaking up those righties. Then you got Josh or whatever it may be. You got a right, right, lefty, right combo, and and uh, and that's a power punch in the middle of that lineup. And then at the bottom, uh you got Rosario hitting seventh, eighth, or you know, or ninth. I think Buxton's hitting ninth. You, I mean, you you don't to catch a break in that lineup. There's no break for a pitcher in that lineup. He really has to execute all his pitches. I can't see too many complete games against those guys.
0: On Buxton, do you see him one day being more in that leadoff spot that, you know, long term at some point, he's really not a number nine hitter?
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely not a, a number nine hitter. Um, I think you kind of take him out for like uh, two or three innings, and he doesn't play a part in the lineup until the third inning, you know. Um, I, I definitely think they probably, when he matures as a hitter and, and more consistent at the plate, um, which I think he's really going to get to. Um, I, I think that they will utilize him at the top of that lineup and utilize his speed, and then here you go. You're getting a lot more fastballs for the, the monsters, that right-right-left-right right, right boxing combo in the middle of the lineup. I definitely think that uh, putting him at the top with that speed he gets on base, you have to throw that fastball to those guys, and they will destroy it.
0: We're talking with Tory Hunter. Does it surprise you, Tori, that Josh Donaldson has never won a Gold Glove? I mean, if you look at the metrics, the statistics, yeah. I mean, he's one of the best defensive third basemen in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the guy can really feel. You don't want to hit it to him. I when I was at the plate, I should look down there and tell him I wasn't hitting it down there, and he'd be like, "Come on, hit it!" And <laughs> now we we had a bunch of <laughs> we played a bunch of games on the field when I was with the Angels and with the Twins um he's always been with Oakland and we we always had some little bicker and I would bunt on him every once in a while. I get ahead and he'd throw me out. So the guy is really good over there and everybody knows it in major league baseball. You just have some guys like uh um uh Beltré, uh, a lot of different guys at third base at the time that was winning cons- consecutive gold gloves and they were really good over there as well. Uh but you know, I I feel like he still can play third base at a high level and that's why he you know Sano's going to first base possibly and he, he's at third moving Sano to third I mean first base
0: That will be interesting, though, right? I mean, that is still an adjustment. I mean, Miguel is going to have to work very, very hard. My understanding is, I was over there the other day when he had an informal media gathering after he signed the contract extension. He said already he's been working hard this winter on transitioning to first base, but once he gets to Fort Myers here, and he actually said he's going down before the month is over, but, I mean, he is going to have to work incredibly hard. I mean, easier said than done, right, making that transition from third base to first base?
1: Um, Sano can really feel. If anybody can do it, I think Sano can do it. He's very athletic hmm. for a big guy. You know, he's very athletic. And, um, his footwork is not bad at, at all as a, you know, big guy. He's very, he, he's a talent. Uh, so for him to, to transition over to first base, first of all, he's going to be healthy. You know, I, I, the, I it, there's not too much can go on at first base. Um, and he'll stay healthy. Uh, he phase his legs, so he'd probably hit for more power. Uh, he's going to make the plays over there. He's a third baseman. and They know how to scoop and use that glove over there. And, uh, and he's going to be a good throwing first baseman. So I, I don't see it being too hard for him. It's just going to take some time, like anything in this world takes time. But I definitely think he won't suck over there at all. I think he's going to make an impact right away.
0: What sort of swagger does Donaldson have? I mean, is it borderline almost cockiness at times? Oh, he has some swag,
1: big time. You know, uh, the way that the game is played today, I mean, he, he has swag and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, a lot of uh, fun to watch. And, and then you, you talk about all the guys on the, the club, in the clubhouse. They're a lot of fun as well. They're having a lot more fun. And, uh, just to bring Josh Donison over there, I can see these guys laughing and clowning, but yet trying to destroy you on the field. And that's a great combination to have. Uh, when you can bring somebody with great personality to the clubhouse and and, uh, with Nelson Cruz, you know, uh, leading the way.
0: you like some of these other moves that they've made? I mean, heck, even convincing Jake Odorizzi to take the qualifying offer, that to me was a big-time win. You bring back Michael Pineda when he had some other offers. You know, then you sign Rich Hill, a little bit of a lottery ticket. I mean, who knows? How he'll be after that serious surgery in November, but a good roll of the dice. Then you've got Homer Bailey, you've got Tyler Clippard. you bring back Sergio Romo. You like what they've done yeah. so far this winter?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I, I you know, still a, a starting pitcher, maybe you know, uh, one uh, dominant closer, but I, I definitely think that uh, uh, they made a a lot of great moves. I mean, you talk about NATO who's suspended. You know, hopefully he comes back stronger and it doesn't take too much time to get back into mm-hmm. the thing. And, and then you got Rich Hill who's hurt, um, um, and maybe it could be the end of the season to when he until he gets back. But uh, I definitely think those acquisitions uh, really is going to help the team once they get on the field. Yeah. Uh, but, but for right now they're not on the field, and uh, so there's some holes there. I'm
0: trying to think, did you ever? I'm trying to think. I mean, somewhere along the way, even interleague. I mean, did you face Rich Hill at some point? Yeah,
1: I faced Rich Hill a lot actually. Uh, The Tigers a couple times. Uh, I faced him uh, when I was at the Angels. I faced him a couple times, and uh, he has a sneaky fastball. Um, He he pitches in. He's throwing a lot harder uh, the last couple years, uh, and he resurrected his career. You know, he's somebody I really respect. You know, this guy resurrected his career and uh, came out and pitched in the playoffs really well. I think with the Dodgers and. And uh, so I, I really, I'm really excited to have him back. And when he comes back, hopefully he's healthy and ready to go. He's going to really help impact this ball club with the knowledge that he has as well.
0: When you say harder, I mean maybe just a little bit harder. I mean, does he really just rely more on on deception and some of that off-speed stuff? Because, I mean, I would think, you know, velocity-wise, I mean, Rich Hill probably doesn't throw, what, much beyond, what, like 90-91, if that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean – um, well, yeah, he comes right up. It's more deception. It's sneaky. It's like a sneaky fastball. They call it uh, spin rate, but he has like this sneaky fastball. It looks like it's going to be right there. When you swing It's like extra light, right? When you swing and it breaks your back, you know, for a right-handed hitter. Uh, so he kind of throws across his body on top of his body. You know, he has a high release angle at the top and, and it seems like he's coming downhill. And he sneaks the ball on you. But his curveball is really good. And, you know, people don't talk about that, but his curveball is really, really good. And uh, so I, I definitely think when he comes back and he's healthy, he's going to help the team out tremendously.
0: What's happening to your sport, Torrey? I mean, with all the happenings this week with the Astros and the Red Sox? <laughs> I, I mean,
1: <laughs> I, that's that's kind of Bush League. Like, it's, you know, I don't know what really happened. We don't have no idea. I don't the investigation proves that there was some cheating. Uh, I, I think it just became more lucrative because if you think about it, the banging on, on the trash cans, you know, if you did that during the season, you know, today or in the past, these guys will hit you with that fastball. You're going to get hit. Yes. We're going to take your second baseman out at, at second base. It's something going to happen. We're going to police ourselves, but in the postseason, if you did something like that you cannot hit a guy because you put him on first that, that run scores from first that's like 10 runs that one run in the postseason so you really can't retaliate you can't do anything so that's why they just kept doing it if they did you know that's why they kept doing it and and uh and and it allows you to win and they don't care about if you know it or not you know so that's why it's such a big deal and that and because during the season, we can police ourselves. I know that they're doing that. I'm just going to hit one of their guys until they stop. And then you will stop because the other guy's is going to be upset that you're doing it. And I'm getting hit. Stop doing that. So I, I definitely think that um, the punishment is warranted because the postseason, they find out that that's true. And if I knew it, I was on the other team, I really wouldn't want that to happen because we can't do anything about it. You handcuff me.
0: Should players... Be suspended. I mean, you know, we've seen the fallout with the Astros GM losing his job and AJ Hinch and Cora with the Red Sox. I mean, all these guys have lost their jobs. What about the players being disciplined?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know how you're going to be able to prove that. The guys, some guys could say, "I didn't accept that they were doing it, but I didn't have to do it. I didn't want to know it. I was fun. I was concentrating." How can you prove that? You know, it might have been some guys that wanted it, and the guy that was hitting it, you know, hitting the trash can. I don't know who that was, and he could say. He can probably tell somebody, "Hey, that he wanted it and he wanted it."
0: You're right; but it would be probably tough really to boil down. That. Sure. And if
1: you're in if you're in the corporate world, anywhere in other any other sport, any other business, anything in the world, uh, the captain has to go down with the ship. You save all the other people; the captain is the one that's responsible. The CEO gets fired. Everybody gets fired that's at the head, not the ones that that are at the bottom. You should have stopped that.
0: You know who was on that Astros team? Marwin Gonzalez. I mean, you think that'll be a weird dynamic in the Twins' clubhouse? No. No, he would be fine. Players, Players can forgive. For sure. The difference is, I guess, technology was used in this case, right? Like, I think about, like, your... Your brilliance at you know picking up pitchers, tipping their pitches, right? I yeah. mean that's always been part of the game, and that's yeah. just using your brain, your mind. You right. know your brilliance. I mean where the Astros went over the line was using the technology.
1: Yeah, I I, I think uh, they they abused it put it like that I, because I just say if I had a brick, I can build a house with that brick, you know, but I can get that same brick and hit you with it and make it a weapon. And I think they used, they did technology the same way. The technology is good, but it depends on the attitude towards it. They choose to get a camera, look at the signs, relay it to the clubhouse, and bang on the trash can. So uh, they choose to use it for something that's negative. Oh, the- the technology can be good in the game. it's just got to make sure no one is using it for something negative. And I think that's what they did if they did do it, you know. Um, they got proof that they did it. Yeah, so. I mean, there's Let's proof.
0: See. I mean, it is amazing, I mean, with all that, that in the end, you know, the way they relayed things was banging on a trash can, right? That's
1: like. <laughs> so lovely, <literally, laughs> man. It's like, it, 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 I laugh at it because it's it's very much elementary. That's I, I never heard that before. Never heard that before because once we heard something like that, because we're always looking for if someone's, you know, stealing our signs, which is stealing signs is part of the game.
0: Exactly. You know, but yeah, when
1: you when you steal the signs and then you bang on the trash or you make a noise like, Shh, you know, most people whistle twice or whistle once, we hear that that rhythm, then we automatically hit your pitcher. I mean, your hitter. Yeah. We're going to hit them. Yeah. And then we're going to let you know we, we're going to hit them. And then, then it stops. You know, it, it doesn't happen. They don't do it anymore. We police ourselves as – it's not too much policing yourselves in the game anymore because there's too many penalties, the rules have changed, things have changed. So now you have to sustain guys when, when there's uh, signs of cheating.
0: Great insight as always. Tori. thank you for putting up with my nonsense. Happy New Year. Hey, happy New Year to you, man. I'll see you soon in that cold weather. I always love catching up with Corey Hunter. Since my conversation with Torrey, there's been even more fallout. What a week for Major League Baseball. Not in a good way. Carlos Beltran out as Mets manager. I do sincerely wonder what those conversations will be like in the Twins clubhouse when inevitably guys ask Marwin Gonzalez about his time with the Houston Astros. But maybe Torrey's right. Maybe player to player, it is not that big of a deal. On Josh Donaldson, it sounds like the press conference could be on Wednesday. The tentative plan is Wednesday. Wednesday, january 22nd josh donaldson day in the twin cities also it sounds like from a ticket selling standpoint a lot of season ticket holders renewed after they heard the news break on tuesday night into wednesday they decided yes i'm on board for 2020 season tickets the twins also sold a number of new season tickets but it sounds like the biggest impact or the bigger impact between selling new tickets and renewing tickets was renewing tickets a lot of people said hey I'm on board. Alright, let's transition from Tori Hunter to Miguel Sano. So I was over at Target Field on Tuesday afternoon, a few hours before the Josh Downson news broke. They introduced the Twins, that is, Miguel sano to us in terms of hey, we just signed him to a three-year $30 million extension, gave a few of us some opportunities to catch up with Miguel. I'll give Miguel credit. I asked him seven, eight, nine questions here in this conversation. He did not use the translator once. He did peek over to the translator at one point when asked about his weight which you'll hear here in a second but otherwise I give Miguel Sano credit he has come a long way when it comes to his English anyway here's my conversation from Tuesday afternoon with twins now really first baseman slash whatever really not third baseman Miguel Sano take us through how excited you are to get this deal done
2: uh, first thing I want to say thank you God uh, my mom, my dad uh, Frederico you all trust me uh, my whole career, my aging, he do a great job, um, all part of my family, um, my friend Giovanni. And uh, I'm so really happy about the deal because that's my future for my son, my family, and everybody, you know, and uh, now is when I still play the game more.
0: When you mention Fred Guerrero, I mean, I think back to when you were... 16 years old, I mean, 10, 11 years ago, when you signed with the Twins, just what does the Twins organization all these years, all the time you've spent in the Twins organization, what does this organization mean to you?
2: Uh, those organization mean to me a lot because when I say Fregorio, this uh, person, when I got the investigation with Major League Baseball, he told me, I trust you. I know who you are. I know you what you can do. And those kind of stuff, you know, and he say with me all the time, he called me every day and told me, take it easy. I know you're fine and everything. And, uh, and I know that I, when I get signed for you, I come and I told you, we already signed you. And uh, he told my whole life. And he put every work he do and he put his family in my hand. Like he told everybody, that's it, the age they have it. And uh, I trust him and everything. Do you feel like this contract extension is just,
0: in some ways, you know, like a fresh start, or you know, that you're still ascending? That yeah, you have the contract out of your way, but you still have a lot of good baseball in you.
2: Uh, I don't think about the contract. I think about my family, future, uh, my son, my wife, my mom, and everybody. And now is when Miguel Sano need to play more games every day, put some number on the board that's the contract. like a lot of players want to have something like that in the hands, but I don't want too much, I don't want too many I want the guy to give it to me.
0: You have a new agent, did you tell your new agent that you wanted to sign a long-term deal
2: this winter with the Twins? You know why I changed the agent? Because he gave me the what I need for be healthy and play the game. He gave me the facility, the better coaches to work. He gave me hitting coach. He gave me the guys' strength condition and those kind of stuff. That's because I say he's one of the best agents in baseball right now because he don't give me clothes, Louboutin, Gucci, and kind of stuff. You know, He don't give me material. So he give me something what I need to work and get better. And he trusts me too. And I told him, that's a good contract for me. Because it's thirty million, so I don't think so. I need more than that to get for my life, you know what I mean? And uh, that's something what I everybody comes to my family say, yes do it.
0: Is three years a good number? I mean, from your standpoint, you know, the contract is up and you're not even thirty years old yet, or would you have preferred like a four, five or six year deal?
2: Um, you know, I'd say three years, but we never know. Those three years they can go like for ten years. They can I can take another extension, and extension. We never know, so we need to have a good heart, and think positive. Our friend, and thinking about your family, your son, daughter, everybody in your family, you know. And uh, see what's in. Don't watch it. What's in the past? Watch your friend, and you see your whole life was. Was, um, you, see, you can see your whole life in the future.
0: When you look back at last season, what stands out both from what you did and then what the team did?
2: Um, you know last year, I come with an injury in my foot. Uh, I lose like two months. I play like three months or two months and a half, and I put a good number, but I lose like two months. What about if I can play the whole year? Last year, I put better number than that. But God give me the chance to play two months and a half. And I tell you, you know, I play happy. I got one person what I love for my whole life, Nelson Cruz. He helped him a lot last year, and uh, he's that kind of person like what I need in my life, you know. And uh, that's something what I love.
0: How hard have you been working? You look to be in great shape. Is this maybe the best shape you've been in? Even in a while? And you were in great shape last year.
2: Yeah, I still working. I never stop. I take vacation for two months, a month and a half, but I still working. During my during my vacation, I still working, but I never stop, you know. And uh, I think about my future and my son, Dylan, and my wife, Daniela, um, my mom, Melania, my dad, Elvin, Dwa And then, uh, like what I say, I think about my future and think I look at the front, I don't look in the back.
0: From a weight standpoint, I mean, is this the lightest you've been in a while? Like are you around 250 pounds right now?
2: Yeah, I look like that, but I think so I can lose more during spring training and we see what happens during spring training.
0: Speaking of what might happen. Uh,
2: I weigh like 270, something like that.
0: You may. Speaking of spring training, they may shift you to first base. Have you talked to Rocco or or the front office about the possibility of you moving to first base?
2: Yeah, I talking to everybody. I don't care what I play. I want to play the game. So I don't, I don't I don't like to play DH. But if you want to pull me first base, outfield, whatever they want to pull me, I can play. I love to play the game. Just...
0: And would the idea be if Josh Donaldson comes? I mean, how much would you enjoy having Josh Donaldson as your teammate?
2: Yeah, if he's coming, I we love it because he's a power hitter. He can put some more home in the ball for us, and we can have a better team.
0: What goals do you have? Have you set goals for 2020 for this next year?
2: Uh, my goal for 2020 is to be healthy. To be healthy and see what happens. Because when I say healthy, that's the number I can put on the board when I can play every day.
0: I'll let you go after this, Miguel. How did you celebrate this contract?
2: I celebrate the contract to go to read the Bible and thank you, God, for the opportunity to go through more years and put the future in my family, in my hands.
0: That was my conversation with Twins now. First baseman Miguel Sano on Tuesday afternoon. It was just a few hours later that the news broke that the Twins had agreed to terms with Josh Donaldson. A reminder, it sounds like the Twins have not announced anything, but the buzz is, hey, this is the Scoop Podcast. You come here for the information before anywhere else. It sounds like Wednesday is the target day for the Josh Donaldson news conference. It'll be a big week next week for the Twins. The Caravan Twins Fest on Friday and Saturday. Josh Donaldson, middle of the week. It'll be a fun week next week for the twins I also talked to Miguel Sano's one of his agents Miguel Alvarez Alvarez told me that Sano has been working hard in the Dominican on playing first base he's been practicing at third base and first base and that he will shift his attention his focus to Fort Myers here before the month is over so he will be in Fort Myers a couple weeks at least a couple weeks before the official start of spring training. All right. Stay with us. When we come back, the latest on the Wolves, they made one trade. What is next? Plus we catch up with Joel Corey. He has intimate knowledge of the NFL salary cap. He is phenomenal on the Vikings salary situation. So stay with us. We'll talk Vikings and Wolves right here on the Scoop Podcast on this Friday night. It is Scoop Podcast 275 on. We are back here on the Scoop Podcast. It is episode 275 on this Friday night here on score north on 1500. The Vikings have so many interesting and fascinating questions to answer this offseason to help us analyze at least some of those questions. He's been on the podcast before. We appreciate his knowledge, his brilliance. It is Joel Corey, former NFL agent. You can follow him on Twitter, at Corey Joel. He does great work for CBSSports.com. He has intimate knowledge of NFL contracts, and he is a salary cap expert. Joel, thanks for being back on the podcast. I guess let's just start big picture. I mean... Last time I checked, correct me if I'm wrong, right now the Vikings are dead last in the NFL in terms of salary cap space. In fact, they may not even have any salary cap space as we enter March, but can you just lay out for us, the audience, what the Vikings are up against from a big-picture standpoint when it comes to their salary cap?
3: Yeah, that, that's true. The, they, on the surface, have the worst salary cap uh, right now for next year in the NFL. They're roughly about $10 million over if the cap's are $200 million. So they're going to have to release some players and restructure contracts to get under. Um, there have been teams in the past that have been in worse situations. I remember the Saints, when the cap was a lot lower several years ago, had a $25 million overage in the offseason, found a way to get under, then also signed Jairus Bird, which came out of nowhere, um, that they were going to be a suitor for a big-ticket safety.
0: I mean, I suppose Vikings fans should not be all that surprised, though, right? I mean, when you're paying the quarterback what you're paying him, I mean, you would have the exact number, but isn't the hit coming up here in 2020 like $30 million? Then you commit the money they did last March to Anthony Barr. You have all these high-priced guys. I suppose this day was always coming.
3: Yeah, this is coming because they did such a good job of drafting because the guys you've paid for the most part, it's been homegrown talent, uh, Eric Hendricks. Draft pick. Uh, Daniel Hunter, draft pick. Anthony Barr, draft pick. Xavier Rhodes, draft pick. Her, uh, Harrison Smith, draft pick. Stephon mm-hmm. Diggs, draft pick. So you, you for the most part, it's been homegrown guys, so that's a nice problem to have, but you can't pay everyone, and I really thought that it was an either-or proposition with Kendricks and Barr, and somehow uh you got both of them back. Uh, I thought when you extended uh Hunter, Diggs, and Kendricks, that there's no way Barr was going to be a Viking uh, on a go-forward basis, but he is.
0: All right, so what is the logical path? So they are many millions over. I mean, from your standpoint, what is a logical path just for them to get below where they need to be?
3: Well, for one thing, Everson Griffin, who's counting on the books at thirteen nine, has the ability to avoid his contract. And if he does, you pick up $13.1 million right there. All right. And you could re-sign him um, to a, I guess it would be a Brandon Graham, Justin Houston type deal. And you could do it for a much lower first-year cap number, maybe get the first-year cap number for half of the dead money you picked up or even uh, uh, a third of that. So that's one option. Uh, Xavier Rhodes is a guy that's been targeted as someone who may not be around next year because of the way he played this year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you released him, you could pick up a little over $8 a cap space there. Um, sometimes if you think a player can bounce back, you ask him to take a pay cut before you release him. Um, an interesting one to me is uh, Riley Reef. The offensive line is not great, but is he going to be part of the solution or part of the problem? Um, he's got a $13.2 million cap hit, um, so you could pick up almost $9 million if you released him, but then you don't have a left tackle.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, you know, you could draft a left tackle, I suppose. I mean, there was some talk last offseason of moving Reef inside to guard, and I think that's easier said than done with a guy that's played tackle, you know, for so many years. I mean, I just don't think that's a real easy move, but there's some with the Vikings who believe Reef could move inside. On Griffin, I mean, let's say he doesn't void his contract. I actually think he will, but let's say he says, I'm back. Could the Vikings then release him? I mean, I guess what what sort of cap relief would they have if he decides to opt in or he decides to come back, doesn't void his contract? I mean, I guess just specifically with Griffin, I mean, I guess what are the options facing the Vikings there?
3: Well, it's the same either way. you got the same cap room whether he voids or not if you cut him. (laughs) because cause, uh, those years would be expiring um, one way or another. Either he's going to avoid them or if you cut them, <laughs> they're gone anyway. So it's the same it's the same cap relief. And then there's nothing that says you can't re-sign him under either scenario because uh, he's been here forever. So you would have a uh, conversation that, hey, if you don't want to void, then if we cut you and you'd have to be trust about re-signing him and going from there. Um, but he bounced back and looked more like his normal self this year, so he's probably gonna. I don't know if you really want him on the books for thirteen, five, fourteen, fifteen, five without any proration, because that's what the the years are for the next three years. But um, but you could uh, still pay him in the same neighborhood, but get it in a more favorable way cap wise.
0: I mean, thirty two years old. I mean, I think it's logical to think that that one way or another, Everson Griffin is in a different uniform in 2020. All right, how about some of their other unrestricted...
3: One way you you could look at it is the fact that you've got such a bargain with your other end, you could afford the overpayment for the older guy because you got a steal of Hunter because the second that deal was done, I thought he was underpaid because you knew the market was going to jump to 20 so I still have no idea why he did what he did.
0: Yeah, you know what? Remind us what what the money is for Daniil Hunter. Then you look at other guys like, you know, I guess... You know, I guess top of my head, like Frank Clark comes to mind. I mean, Daniil Hunter is a better player, but like Frank Clark got paid. Other guys have gotten paid. I mean, I guess if you're Daniil Hunter's agent or Daniil Hunter himself, like what were you thinking signing that contract?
3: I'm going to have to say this was player-driven, not agent-driven, but still the agent usually can influence a player not to do something stupid. Because you don't sign as a 24, 25 year old pass rusher heading into your contract. You're a deal averaging less than $15 million per year. When you know if they had to, you played it out, you did what you did the year before, or even better, they got to franchise you for over $17 million. And then you see after you sign, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald become the first $20 million per year non quarterbacks. And then you have two other guys join that that aren't, or maybe aren't as good as you Frank Clark and Demarcus Lawrence. So, what were you thinking?
0: Yeah, I that, mean, you're bro, right.
3: That, that, may be one, that may be Rob Brzezinski's best deal he's done in a long time.
0: And he's been here forever. I mean, heck, you used to deal with him, right? When you had John Randall, some other Vikings players. I mean, you yeah, used to deal John, with Rob John Brzezinski. John
3: Randall and Ed McDaniel. I dealt with Rob Brzezinski back then, and Rob is excellent at his job. I will, I will say that if you have to rank the people who negotiate contracts for teams, he's right up there at the top.
0: But, okay, so... And I think you're right, Joel, and we're talking with Joel Corey, NFL salary cap expert. Follow him on Twitter, at Corey Joel. He writes for CBS Sports.com. Joel, I think you're right that in all these years, so Rob's been here, Rob Brzezinski has been here for so, so long, and in all these years, I think you're right. The best deal he has ever done is this Daniil Hunter contract. I mean, it really is remarkable how team-friendly
3: that contract is. Yeah, that, that's, that's a head-scratcher to me, but... Um... That deal is as good for the Vikings as the Sammy Watkins deal has been as bad for the Chiefs.
0: <laughs> good cop. All right, so when looking at some of these unrestricted free agents, like Anthony Harris, for example, I mean, I guess what is, what is the franchise number for safeties? And, like, from your standpoint, they're paying Harrison Smith all this money. I mean, I don't know. I mean, does it make sense to pay two safeties big-time money as good as Anthony Harris is?
3: First, you guys have to get under the cap. I don't think you're going to be in a position where you can even afford to put a tag on anybody. The number's going to be about eleven five, And, yeah, the way the safety market has gone, you'd have to have two high-priced safeties, and you'd probably have to pay him more than Harrison Smith. That deal's uh, now a little dated because he did it a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But there is one place where you can get significant cap room we haven't even touched on. Cousins. Because that that's a, he's got a twenty nine point five million dollar base salary, thirty one cap number, and basically, if you don't do him this year, he can hit the open market because the transition tag you can't put a transition tag on him. Third franchise tag is too cost prohibitive; it's like forty five million dollars. So basically, if you want Cousins on a go forward basis, you have to do something, and you could pick up significant cap room by converting uh, some of that. Twenty-nine point five million dollars base salary to signing bonus on extension and prorating it, um, that's the elephant in the room. Well, I mean, yeah. Fortunate, fortunately, he had a great game against the Saints and and came up big when he needed to. So that narrative isn't as prevalent as it used to be. So I'm curious to see what they do with him and how Mike McCartney, um, if you guys approach him, whether he's going to play hardball like he's done every other time or, or he and he and cousins are going to uh, be a little more flexible.
0: I think Spielman and Zimmer are married to Kirk cousins, Joel. I mean, I think they do. I think they do approach the agent Mike McCartney, probably as soon as the combine in Indianapolis in late February and just see where things stand. But like, Okay. So you laid it out, but like, what are some realistic numbers? Like, if they want to extend cousins, I think the dialogue is absolutely going to happen, Joel. Like, what would make sense for them to have some savings here in 2020?
3: Well, the first thing, um, if I'm McCartney is anything, if you offer me something that doesn't adjust the current deal for the cap going up since we did the deal, I'm not interested. And that would put you at an average of $31.5 million. The question is, are they going to want to do another short-term deal, three years, add three new years, get another by the apple, or are they willing to extend that a little bit longer and plant some roots? And I don't think you can structure the deal the way you did this time, small signing bonus, big base salaries. I think you're going to have to go the more conventional route for big signing bonus. And then do you give him a big enough signing bonus where he can hang his hat on? I've got the biggest signing bonus in history. Right now it's Russell Wilson $65 million. And you can prorate that out. And if you get them to do four new years, you prorate that out, give them a next-to-nothing base salary. You can pick up like 10-minute cap room right there.
0: Mm. I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, I'm just telling you, Joe, I do think not to say that they'll absolutely hammer out an extension, but I'm telling you, I mean, like, I'm positive the Vikings are going to approach McCartney and try to work something out.
3: Yeah, it would make sense if you want him on a go-forward basis because he – he holds all the cards from the standpoint that if you don't extend him and he does what he did this year in the regular season and you win another playoff game, he's going to be viable to a lot of people.
0: What is the salary cap situation with Stefan Diggs, as fascinating and, and great a player as, as Stefan is? Like if the Patriots call, for example. The Patriots could use a wide receiver and the Patriots say here. Here's our first round pick. So, whatever pick that is, late 20s, whatever that pick is. I mean, I guess it would be comparable to an Amari Cooper trade or a Brandon Cooks trade. If the Patriots offer up that pick for Stefan Diggs, what sort of salary cap, you know, relief would the Vikings get?
3: Uh, I want more, uh, just because he's very cost controlled and he's under contract. Uh, Cooks was a one year rental. Um, you've got a guy who's under contract for basically $12 million per year for the next four years. Yeah, and
0: I think so, he's a top-five receiver. I do. I, I don't think he's number yeah, one or number I, I two. I think he's top five, though.
3: If Muhammad Sanu can go for a second, I want a whole lot more than just a uh, uh, late first.
0: Yeah, you're right. Good or, point. Uh, yeah, Stephon,
3: Stephon Diggs. Really, I think what they're going to end up doing is restructuring him for cap purposes. But the whole his I want out thing, they're not getting rid of him because – you saw how valuable he was this year when Thielen was dealing with the uh, hamstring injury. Yep. So you want to have both weapons together because that gives you one of the most formidable receiving tandems in the NFL. I think you just restructure him for cap purposes and depending upon how far you take down his base salary, you can get as much as $7.5 million of cap room with the restructure for him because the guys you want to restructure or the guys that you think are going to be there – Long-term and are young, so that would be uh, Diggs Hunter would be two guys that I would look to, to restructure contracts, and it's a similar type of cap room you would get from Hunter's deal, about seven, five if you uh, would be about the match you could get from him as well.:
0: What about Kendricks and Barr? What about those contracts? Are those contracts contracts you could look to restructure?
3: Yeah, you did a small restructure of Kendrick's last year. I don't That's know if he's right, yeah. adding to it, so mm-hmm. I just kind of leave him alone. And I might not touch Barr as well. Thielen, I would touch because he's got his under contract through 2024 now, so you can get about seven if you uh, chop his base down to about as low as you can get it. And then are you going to keep uh, Linval Joseph, or is he going to be showing the door? Um, he's got a $5.3 million um, injury uh, guarantee for his base salary that becomes fully guaranteed third day of the league year. So if he's still there, if he's there the third day of the league year, you're not doing anything with him. But there's the window to try to do something with Joseph if he's someone that you're, you're looking to move on from.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, I guess what sort of relief would they get if they move on from Linval Joseph?
3: Uh Ten and a half million. Mm. It's significant because the way Rob that's an easy
0: decision then for me.
3: That, yeah, structured that um, extension was that it didn't have a lot. Of, have, it had a very modest signing bonus. Didn't have a lot of money fully guaranteed at signing because he, he's one of the guys who still gets away with, except with the cousins deal, uh, not fully guaranteed the second year or of a contract it's signing and having the the years vest as they come up, like twenty twenty. The full guarantee invest in 2020 as opposed to 19 or vesting early. So he's done a magnificent job of giving the Vikings some outs with contracts um, when necessary. So I kind of look at him because of the room you could pick up.
0: I'll leave you with this. Dalvin Cook entering the final year of his contract. I mean, do they even entertain the idea of extending him? I mean, My own personal, somewhat educated belief, Joel is that he is going to. And, I mean, heck, who can fault him? He looks at the Ezekiel Elliott contract and says, okay, I'm as good as him, if not better. I want more than that. But, like, could the Vikings ever pay Dalvin Cook big time money?
3: Yeah, well, my personal philosophy is I wouldn't pay any running back on a second contract unless the guy is a combination, has Jim Brown's size, the elusiveness of. Barry Sanders, yeah. uh, the pass-catching ability of Marshall Falk, and that guy does not exist. <laughs> so I wouldn't pay any of these guys. I
0: agree. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. But
3: um, I would fran- I would have him play it out and franchise until I had no more utility. But I think Cook is going to look at the, those running back deals, go, I'm the equal of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to be paid in that top tier. And he may not show up until you pay him.
0: What sort of leverage does he have, though? I mean, does he have any leverage? I mean, doesn't he almost have to show no, he, up? He, I guess... doesn't
3: because he doesn't really have leverage because you have a back behind him that ain't half bad.
0: I agree. Yeah, Alexander Adrian Madison Peterson. is good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this look at Melvin Gordon. Peterson. I mean, what did Melvin Gordon accomplish by holding out?
3: That, that was a, everyone, I could see that one coming a mile away because of Austin Eckler. Um, Cook, he's had one breakout season. His rookie year was looking good, and he's been injured. For the most part since then,
0: and that's why so, you can't pay him. I agree. you can't pay him. Yeah, he's exactly. been injured every that's year.: you
3: can't pay him. He's been every, every year except one. Um, The funny, the thing is that even if you do pay him, I don't think they ever pay him more than the Adrian Peterson deal from 2011, which averaged 14 million a year. I don't think he gets that deal even though it's almost a decade later.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm with you, you though: Yeah, you can't pay a running back that you just you can't do it in this day and age. Right, You can't pay all these guys. You have to make some tough decisions. And I'm with you, Joel. There's no way you can pay any running back Ezekiel Elliott-type money or more than that. So, I mean, in the Vikings' case, I guess you're right. I mean, I guess play it out here in 2020, and I guess if you want to maybe slap the franchise tag on him after yeah, that. Yeah, the
3: thing is running backs know that. If there's any position that should strike while the iron's hot and hold out, yet better assess your leverage properly to do it. And then the problem's going to be that – Carolina is not going to have any choice but to pay Christian McCaffrey. He's going to be the guy that gets more than Elliott, and all these other running backs are going to go, hey, look what they just do in <laughs> Carolina for him.
0: Uh, Joe, what else fascinates you about you know as March approaches? I mean, I guess league-wide. I mean, maybe it's something else with the Vikings, but probably not. But I guess what else, what else will you be following here, tracking here pretty closely in the coming weeks?
3: The, the, I'll believe it when I see it, Tom Brady scenarios. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's in another uniform, I'll be shocked, but just the fact that it's gotten to the point where he's ancient in football years, he is the oldest starting quarterback in league history, is finally starting to show some chinks in his armor, and can be free. That's, that's the story which really uh, intrigues me. The whole Tennessee dynamic, because Ryan Tannehill's played great, they've got a running back that That's an even crazier dilemma than what you have here because the running backs that get paid typically are big components in the passing game. Derrick Henry does nothing in the passing game. No, But I think in that system, for that particular team, he may have unique value, and they may may not have any choice but to pay him. And that will be another thing Cook points to. Look what Tennessee did for Derrick Henry.
0: I think Henry might be a system guy. I mean, I don't know. Call me nuts, but I think you could plug in. I'm not saying any running back, but I think you could plug in other running backs, and they would put up comparable numbers. Maybe not quite these numbers, but close to these numbers. So, I mean, I'm just saying, if I'm Tennessee, I,
3: I I'm don't, not paying I don't Henry know about that. With him. I don't know about that. I wouldn't pay him, but he's. I used to help represent a running back that was big, that people didn't like to tackle, that could also catch the ball in the backfield. Steven Jackson. Mm-hmm. This guy is a. Uh, big and people don't like to tackle him but adds nothing to the passing game and that offense revolves around him so i think they may end up paying him and then let the buyer beware because physical running backs usually have a shorter shelf life than other guys
0: joel your analysis is so darn good thank you thank you thank you for educating us
3: oh thanks for having me
0: I love getting the breakdown from Joel Corey, former agent for Steven Jackson, John Randall, Ed McDaniel, and so many others. He now does fine work for CBS CBSSports.com. I'm biased, but I think he is as good as it gets when you need somebody to analyze a team's salary cap situation from a media standpoint. Joel Corey is my go-to guy. One other Vikings note, as we dissected the Vikings pretty good there, George Payton, assistant general manager, as of Friday morning, was still contemplating whether he wanted to interview with the Cleveland Browns. It sounds like if he wants that Browns GM job... He can have it, but he's turned down other opportunities. He could be the Jets GM right now. He turned down an opportunity to interview for that job a couple years back. Everybody said if he interviewed, he was going to get that job. George Payton very much likes it here. He is Rick Spielman's right-hand man. A lot of fans don't know who George is, but I can just tell you the Vikings and their success, a lot of that has to do with George Payton, a great behind-the-scenes worker. At some point, whenever he wants to be, he will be some team's general manager. I know Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said he was taking that. Brown's interview, and maybe he will to be determined, but the update as of Friday morning was he was still contemplating whether to take the interview. I'm just saying if he takes the interview and it goes well, I think the job is his if he wants it. So we'll keep an eye on that. George Payton potentially to the Cleveland Browns. On the Wolves, they made the trade earlier this week. Jeff Teague out, Trevion Graham out, Alan in another Creative Arts Agency guy. So Gerson Rosas is represented by Creative Arts Agency. Carl Anthony Towns is, Andrew Wiggins is, Robert Covington is, Jordan Bell is, and now, Alan Crabb. It is CAA Central here in the Twin Cities. Are the Wolves done? No. It's what we've talked about in this podcast a number of times. Everybody but Towns is on the table. The Wolves are open-minded to making all sorts of deals. On Robert Covington, yes, Dallas has interest. Houston has interest. Philadelphia has interest. I'm told just about every top 12 team, the Lakers... The Nuggets, some others, have at least checked in. I would say at this point, Dallas, Houston, Philadelphia may be showing the most interest, but all sorts of teams. Indiana likes Robert Covington. A lot of teams like Robert Covington. I will downplay the Aaron Holiday buzz. I saw the Ringer had a report that the Wolves were after Aaron Holiday. Hey, that was an idea I threw out on this podcast months ago that that's a guy I would chase. That was more opinion-based, not fact-based. I'm told there isn't anything going on. The Wolves like Aaron Holiday, don't get me wrong, but really no choice traction there that the Wolves are trying to pry Aaron Holiday away from the Pacers. The Wolves did talk to the Pacers back in June about Sabonis. They had interest in Sabonis, and some other names came up. So the Wolves have had steady dialogue with the Pacers going back multiple months, but really nothing right now is hot and heavy. But yeah, the Pacers are looking to do some stuff. A lot of teams are looking to do some stuff because they have a chance to win the championship. It is pretty open at this point. There's like 10, 11, 12 teams that say, hey, We can make a run at this thing. So no surprise, a guy like Robert Covington, who can defend multiple positions, who has a great contract, he has some concerns about the knee, but hey, he's held up so far this year. I think a lot of teams look at Robert Covington and say, that's a really good player. Let's see if we can pry him out of Minnesota. But the price remains incredibly high. Number one on the Wolves' to-do list is to acquire a point guard. Of course they want D'Angelo Russell. That is Carl Anthony Towns' guy. Make no mistake, everything the Wolves are doing is about. About satisfying Carl Anthony Towns. They feel like they have this transformational star, this superstar. They don't want it to come to a situation like Anthony Davis in New Orleans where he demands out. They don't want Towns to get to that point, so they will do everything to satisfy Carl Anthony Towns. D'Angelo Russell is Carl Anthony Towns' guy. At this point, though, there is no sense that Golden State has any interest in moving Russell. I still think it's when, not if, they move Russell, but at this point, the Warriors are not close to moving d'angelo russell so the wolves can try they've tried for months i mean i know there was a report this week on the athletic and it got a lot of clicks and it had people talking but hey the wolves have tried on russell going back many many weeks going back to the summer with the helicopter ride it's not like their interest ever faded in d'angelo russell i just think it's a very very hard trade to pull off on the gophers basketball team Nine different NBA teams were in town at Williams Arena for the last couple home games, the Michigan game over the weekend, the Penn State game earlier this week. So many teams are doing a lot of work on Daniel Oturu. The way he's playing, his stock is climbing. Now, what's interesting on Oturu is he's on pace to graduate in three years, so he could come back next year, earn his degree, which is a big deal for him, and then go pro, but this is a really weak draft. This 2020 NBA draft might be the weakest in about 15 or 20 20 years, or maybe all time. It is a really weak draft. So a lot of guys that are on the fence, it would make some sense to go pro, especially if you get some sort of first-round assurance, which it is possible that Oturu could get. I hear the Pistons and the Blazers are two teams doing a ton of legwork on Daniel Oturu. What else do I have written down here? Antoine Winfield Jr. is close to committing to a big time agency. He is not going with the agent who represented his dad. Tyler Johnson pulled out of this week's shrine game. He's training for the combine out west. Rodney Smith, former gopher, pulled out of the shrine game. He got a little dinged up in the Auburn game, so he is not 100%. I'm told he will be 100% by the time Pro Day comes up here in a handful of weeks on campus, but Rodney just didn't want to put his body on the line at the Shrine game this weekend, all those practices. So the only gopher in the Shrine game, former gopher that is, is cornerback Chris. Williamson. All right, we are done. I think we're up against the clock. Anything else that hits me, I'll tweet D. Wolfson KSTP, or I'll put on TV on Channel 5, or I'm hosting Score North Live here on 1500 on Tuesday, noon to 2. Check me out Tuesday, noon to 2, right here on Score North on 1500. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. This does it for Scoop Podcast Episode 200.